ragaha, freedom from attachment, otherwise called as vairagya, one who has developed that vairagya, does not emotionally depend upon anything. Emotional dependence is the most important problem, the biggest problem. And once you are emotionally independent, you are not dependent on anything, there is no fear, no fear of losing anything, right? Anyani is one who is ready to lose anything anytime. That preparedness to lose anything is the inner strength. Therefore, Vairagyam, and that is followed by Abhayam, he becomes fireless. So, Sthitapragya has developed Vairagya and has got absolutely no fear about anything. He is fearless. And then Krishna says, because of the absence of emotional dependence and, you know, any fear, he is also free from anger. Because anger is nothing but a different manifestation of desire. So, Jnani is free from Ragaha, Bhayaha and Krodaha, which means attachment, fear and anger. So there is no fear of losing anything, there is no dependence on anybody to become happy, hence there is no anger as well. So Sthita Pragya has got complete peace of mind and complete freedom from attachment, fear, anger, etc. Right? So this person has a very strong emotional personality now. So he has not only got the self-knowledge, but he has also got an equally strong emotional personality. So theory and practice in both respects, this person has got the required mastery. So Lord Krishna says that one such person who remains unattached in all conditions, he is neither lost in a happy situation, nor is he lost in an unhappy situation. Anyani is always stable, is not carried away in any circumstances. And he is able to withdraw his senses from the sense objects, like a tortoise withdraws itself, all its limbs and covers under its shell at the sight or at the sense of a danger. Similarly, Sthita Pragya will be able to retract back all that sensory requirements and will have absolute sense control, right? They are completely established in the divinity. They are constantly revisiting and reviewing the teaching, Nididhyasanam. Whatever they learned, they are constantly repeating and recalling it, enjoying it, right? So they are complete the way they are. They are in this feeling of Aham Atma Asmi, Aham Purnaha Asmi, Aham Shuddha Asmi, Aham Nitya Asmi. So they are as they are complete, they are as they are in a completely a divine, uh, you know, uh, intervention. So they are completely lost in divinity. So that's where we stopped last week. Let's look at shloka number 59 now. Vishaya vinivartante nirahārasya dehinaha dasavarjam rasopyasya so Krishna is giving a kind of a caution to Arjuna. He says, be careful, there might be sadhakas who may restrain the senses from the objects of enjoyment. They may be able to exercise sense control, but that does not mean that they have lost the taste for that sense or they have forgotten the taste for that particular sense object. 
However, even this taste ceases for those who are completely realized in the Supreme God. So he says, most of the spiritual seekers, most of the sadhakas, they may be able to exercise self-control and sense control and, you know, may withdraw themselves. But that does not mean that they have completely forgotten or they have uh, no taste of it. But some people who go to that further extreme can even manage to do that. So let's say I am fasting today, right? And today I have decided I will not eat. Or, to, or let's say somebody is not well, he has lost a sense of taste, doesn't feel like eating anything. These kind of people, you give any food, they will not be able to eat, they don't want to eat. Now, this is not a vairagya, this is not a dispassion, right? This is temporary. Because today I am not well, nothing is tasting good in my mouth. But today I am fasting, so I am consciously choosing not to eat. So these are all temporary kind of vairagya. As soon as the fast is over or terminated, or when the sickness is gone, my desires also return back, and I am back in the business. So sadhakas may forcibly restrain their senses with their willpower, but it can be sometimes very temporary, because the inner urge may still be there, that internal flame of that desire may still be there. I see a gulab jamun and I say, no, no, I will not eat, today I am fasting. But inside it is that that flame is burning. Oh no, today should not have been my fasting day, otherwise I could have eaten that gulab jamun. You're still thinking about it, right? But when the Atman is completely focused in devotion toward that Supreme God, then you are experiencing a completely different type of bliss. That kind of detachment is permanent. And that kind of detachment can come only with devotion to the God. And that devotion should be firm and unshakable. So Bhagavad Gita is not only teaching suppression of desires, it is actually teaching you sublimation of desires. So Saint Ramakrishna Paramahansa is very clearly saying, devotion is love for the highest. And once you have the love for the highest, all the other lower desires will fall away by itself. So it is not, you will never be able to progress by suppressing your desires, but you need to master your desires. That's a very key message in this shloka that you need to be aware of, that suppression cannot be sustained over a longer period of time. Today I may be fasting, Ekadashi, I can suppress, but I can't do that on an ongoing basis. That inner desire will keep popping out. Desire is so powerful, it is very hard to control. So you have to learn to master your desires and the only way to do that is by shifting your focus onto the Supreme God. Let's look at Shloka 60 now. And Krishna is saying the senses are so strong and turbulent to Arjuna that they can forcibly carry away the mind of the strongest of seekers and those who think they are practicing discrimination and self-control, even such people can easily be swayed away. Now you may say, you know, I am exercising absolute self-control. I like chocolate cake very much. I can think about it, right? I am not eating it. 
but the problem is once you're thinking about it that flame inside is constantly kept alive that desire is there inside externally you may be showing that you are not all it requires is one moment of weakness and that desire will come out right so we have to be very very alert we have to be very very agile we have to be extremely vigilant otherwise one weak moment when we are less alert and all our self control will be lost we will self justify and we will fall to our desires and these thoughts are a function or is it generated by our vasanas right so it is our nature vasanas are like dormant desires of previous janmas right it is an accumulation of all our desires over many many janmas they are the seeds or they are the seeds of thoughts or they are the thought generator so to speak right so the self control of actions is effective but only to certain extent because self control does not tackle the vasanas it is still not able to influence the vasanas it is like there is a wild growth of grass you trim the grass you have not uprooted it completely so the roots are still very much there so krishna is warning that even for the strongest of people practicing self control uh, they can they can easily fall out of that and at one moment of weakness so very very careful you have to be uh, there is a very interesting story in shrimad bhagavatam which i'll quickly narrate here there was once a great sage called saubari is mentioned in the rigveda there are saubari sutras there is a mantra called saubari sutra there is a scripture called saubari samhita so he is not an ordinary person he is a pretty pretty uh, established sage right so he had such control over his body that he used to completely submerge himself in river yamuna and could meditate long hours under water so such is the kind of control he had reached one day while doing such uh, a sadhana he saw two fish mate mating this small sight carried away his mind and senses and the desire for sexual association arose in him he abandoned his spiritual practice and came out of the water wondering how can i fulfill my desire so at that time the king of ayodhya was mandata who was a very illustrious and noble ruler and he had 50 daughters each very beautiful one more beautiful than the other so saubari approached the king and asked for the hand of one any one of the 50 princesses now king mandata wondered wow what happened to this old man the sage you know he was a monk he is a very respected guy why is he now wanting to get married what what's wrong with him and king saubari you know is a very powerful sage so he the king knows that if i say no to him he can curse me he can you know probably bring a lot of other uh, bad luck to everyone to the king to the kingdom to the princesses everyone so he says now i will have to sacrifice one of my daughter's life uh, i one one of my daughter's life is going to be ruined because of this guy so he was very unhappy so he says okay i have no objection to your request please take a seat i shall bring my 50 daughters in front of you and whoever willingly chooses you you will become their husband that girl's husband 
So the king thought that none of his 50 daughters will like this old, haggard-looking ascetic. And this way he can please the sage as well as he can save all the daughters and there will be no curse from the sage. Now, Saubari is a jnani, right? So he was very well aware of the king's intention. So he told the king, okay, sounds like a good plan. Let's have this event tomorrow. I will come back tomorrow. And then he went back home. That evening he used his yogic powers to turn himself into a very handsome looking young man. Consequently, when he presented himself to the at the palace next day in front of the king and the 50 daughter king, all the 50 princesses liked him instantly and they all chose him as their husband. So now, now the king was in a different type of a dilemma. He has no choice but he is compelled to marry all of them as per the commitment he has given. Now he is worried. All his 50 daughters will fight amongst themselves to get the attention of the sage because they have to share one husband across 50 girls. Again, Saubari used his yogic powers and cloned himself into 50 different Saubaris to take care of the king's apprehension. So like that, he lived separately with each one of them. Several years passed, thousands of years passed. Saubari, with his yogic powers, remained young. The princesses remained young. They were beautiful. They had many children from each of them. To the extent that they had a city full of children. <laughs> After many, many years, Saubari came back to his senses and he realized what a big mess he had created. And he realized, oh my God, even after thousands of years, my material need or my sensory pleasures are still not extinguished. I, It will never go. So he tells, all of you who make plans to attain happiness through material acquisitions, be careful. Look at me. I wasted thousands of years of my life and see where I am, how degraded I am. Where was I and where I am now, right? I created 50 bodies of myself lived with 50 women for thousands of years and yet my sensory requirements have not got fulfilled. They are only asking for more. So he's telling me, learn from my experience, learn from my downfall and do not ever expect to get materially satisfied or fulfilled. In summary, what the story really tells us is it is not enough to control our actions in order to maintain equanimity. We have to remain alert as well and we have to watch our thoughts. A sage of Saubari's caliber who had reached such high levels of control in a moment of weakness had thrown it all away, had frittered away thousands of years of his life, living in uh, pursuing material pleasures. So extremely, we have to be careful that the key takeaway is that even though we think we have got self-sense control, it's just one week moment away. So we have to be extremely vigilant, we have to be extremely agile, we have to be extremely alert. Let's look at Shloka 61. So Krishna is not only giving all the uh, horror stories. He is not telling. So he is. He, one should not think that. Oh my God! How will I ever be? You know, always be alert, always be agile, and you know, make sure that I don't, don't slip on this path, right? 
So Krishna in this sloka is saying those who are always established in divinity and devotion to God and those who subdue their senses and keep their minds ever absorbed in me. Me means the Supreme God. Krishna is telling paraha, mat paraha, towards me. So, so the mind and senses need to be tamed. There is no question about that. Now Krishna is telling how to do that. He is giving the example of Ambarisha. King Ambarisha in Srimad Bhagavatam shows how he, how he lives his life. His mind is always engaged in remembering the lotus feet of the Lord, of Sri Krishna. His tongue is always engaged in chanting the wonderful names and forms and virtues and pastimes of Lord Krishna. His ears are used only in hearing the narration about the Lord. His eyes are only seeing the beautiful deity of the God in the temple or the creation of the Lord. His sense of touch is always in massaging the feet of the devotees of the Lord. His nostrils, his nose is always smelling the aroma from the fragrant objects that are, that are offered to the Lord. His feet is always spent in doing pradakshana of the Lord. So in this way, he has subdued all his senses by engaging them only and only in the service of the Supreme Lord. So Krishna in the shloka is telling how the turbulent senses can ruin the mind, but in this shloka he is telling an option, giving a solution, giving a remedy on how to focus your senses on the higher goal, on the higher self, which is Lord Krishna himself. He says, he is saying, channelize your mind, channelize your senses towards the higher goal. So the senses along with the mind will then detach from the material goals or material objects when they are shown a higher goal. When you like the taste of that higher bliss you experience, you will automatically be willing to let go the material pleasures and desires that you are going after. It is like when you are driving a car, the wheels of the car should turn in the direction in which you turn the steering. Imagine a scenario where you are turning right and the wheels decide to turn left. It will be chaotic. Or look at a situation where many people, you know, take their dogs for a walk. Now, you may be thinking you are taking the dog for a walk, but the dog will run wherever it sees something. So you will follow the dog. After some time, you don't know whether you are taking the dog for the walk or the dog is taking the man for a ride, right? Which is the master, which is the slave, we forget. Similarly, people like us who are in living in this samsara, following a material life, our sense organs are like that. We are supposed to lead the sense organs. We are supposed to control the sense organs. But what happens is the sense organs control us. It will take us and make us do things which we originally were not wanting to do. So when the sense organs lead us, they do not allow us to practice that control, that, that restraint. So restrain your senses. Don't suppress them. You have to fulfill your desires also. If you always suppress them, at some point it will blow open. So don't suppress, but master them. So on an Ekadashi day, if I am fasting, if there is no food cooked at home and you cannot find any food anywhere, you are forced to go hungry, that is suppression. But if you are fasting on an Ekadashi day, there is food cooked at home and you are consciously saying, I am fasting, I am not going to eat anything. 
that is a spiritual sadhana where you are overcoming your desire and your sense uh, attraction for the food even though food is available around you are choosing consciously deciding not to eat that food that is not suppression that is mastering that is transcending your desires you are growing out of your desires this is called mastery that is the kind of control that we should fulfill because suppression is never sustainable it's not long term let's look at shloka 62 and 63 together jayato vishayan pumsah sangasteshu pajayate sangat sanjayate kamah kamat krodo bijayate krodat bhavati sammohah sammohat prati bibramah prati bramshat buddhinashah buddhinashat pranashyati very very important uh, shlokas very important for us to remember this these shlokas are also sometimes referred to as the ladder of fall ladder of fall i'll explain what it is so what these two shlokas tell shloka 62 says that when we are always thinking about something right one develops an attachment to them once you have an attachment to that it will lead to desire and from desire comes anger and in the next shloka he says when you are angry you are not able to think clearly it will cloud your judgment which results in loss of memory confusion and when memory is confused your intellect gets destroyed and when the intellect is destroyed you are doing you will end up doing all, all kinds of nonsense stuff now you can imagine why these two shlokas are called the ladder of fall right these are two warning shlokas which krishna is telling on what can happen as a spiritual speaker you are, as a spiritual seeker you are on the path and one slip and how one thing can lead to the other and you can land into trouble right so he is talking about i thought i gave you the example of chocolate cake i am not eating it i am only thinking about it right i am not in physical touch with it in this shloka krishna is saying what is the pitfall of that thought process right he goes into great detail why it is ladder of fall it's like in the snake and ladder sap seedy game if you have played at 99 there will be a big crobora which will bring you down to number 9 right to the bottom it is like that you may be in this journey you may think you have achieved lot of progress and one weakness one failure you can slip down let's take an example let's say i am very much interested in buying the next iphone right iphone 13 is going to come in the market and what happens i'm constantly keeping tab when is it coming what are the new features somebody says something you know i go and understand that what is the shape what are the different colors what are the specifications what is the battery like i am so consumed about it right i am already thinking about it i am living about it the desire gets stronger and stronger simply by contemplating on the object the fact that i want to buy it i am thinking more about it i am indulging in more research more fact finding i am getting attached to it without even knowing right now let's say iphone 13 is launched and i manage to even get it brilliant so my wish is fulfilled now what can happen right because of that urge to buy that iphone 13 i was so consumed 
in that that you know i probably even missed performing my sadharma and i probably did not use a judicial sense of using my funds by probably allocating a big chunk of money to buy that so my equanimity is already disturbed i have lost my balance right in my urge and my pleasure to have that particular item so it has taken me a few steps backward from moksha or from that spiritual path right now let's say god forbid the phone falls from my hand and it breaks the screen is broken or the you know motherboard is spoiled what will happen you are super angry you are very 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 disappointed with yourself thank god if it happens in by your own hand if somebody in the family has dropped it then they had it right we will not think twice before saying anything that comes into your head what will happen family environment gets spoiled you have shown your anger on your spouse or on your children or whoever is responsible and in the in the process you have also strained that particular relationship not only has he completely lost his equanimity now but he has also caused pain to other members in the family so the message is when you are constantly thinking about something constantly contemplating on your object or a sense object it will whether your desire gets fulfilled or not it will lead to destruction or disturbance of that equanimity your your sense of peace gets disturbed that is a given right so the message here is that you should be careful not to be attached to that sense object to such an extent that it can disturb your peace of mind so try and avoid that kind of strong contemplation so anger comes from desire right anger is caused when one's desire gets obstructed so attachment to a concept such as one's job title or position or you know whatever it is can cause anger and delusion and stress and so on so we have to be extremely careful not to get attached to those kind of things this loss of discrimination is loss of human life anger greed lust etc they are all considered as manasa roga diseases of the mind if there is a disease in the body we can go to the doctor he can test it and he can tell you have this problem but manasa roga disease of the mind nobody can tell you have to experience it yourself you have to introspect yourself right one bodily ailment itself can make us miserable but imagine if we are living with so many different manasa rogas lust anger greed jealousy pride ego we all live with it without knowing it or even if we know it we think it is not a disease right so we have to be careful we are always continuously tormented by lot of mental ailments since we do not recognize them we don't try to cure them also so in these two verses krishna is kind of showing a red flag and he's saying be careful what you should be doing how you should control your mind one slippage 99 to 9 you will keep you will slip and fall down how saubari example right one small instance of he seeing the two fishes mating took him back by 1000 years and still he could never fulfill his material pleasures one desire is all is required it gives birth to two more problems greed and anger greed comes if the desire is fulfilled anger comes if the desire is not fulfilled 
so either way when there is a desire it is just the beginning of all the subsequent problems so krishna is telling be careful watch out of these two factors these two shlokas are considered the ladders of fall be very very careful not to fall into this uh, trap and try to not have desires or overcome your desires master them let's look at shloka 64 ragadvesha vyuktaistu vishaya anindriyaischaran ஆத்மவசியர்பிதேயாத்மாசாதம்ிகிருஷ்ணிங்ஸ்ட்ரீஸ்ட்ரீஸ்ட்ரீஸ்ட்ரீஸ்ட்ரீஸ்ட்ர
So the mind has to be free from both attachment and aversion. And instead, the mind should be focused in devotion to the Lord. That is the only thing that we should be focused on. And experience that unlimited divine bliss. Sthita Pragya is able to do that. Sthita Pragya has overcome his attachment and aversion and has focused his mind on the Lord. That is what Sthita Pragya is all about. Let's look at Shloka 65. Prasade Sarva Dukkhanam Hanirasyo Pajayate Prasanna Cheta Sohyashu so in this shloka, Lord Krishna is saying such a person, Sthita Pragya, who is overcome attachment and aversion, the likes and dislikes, and is constantly focused on devotion to God, divine grace comes to such a person. Prasade. Prasade means by divine grace. Sarva Dukkhana. All his uh, sorrows will end. Sarva Dukkhanam, all his sorrows will end. And the intellect of such a person, of very calm and peaceful mind, soon becomes fully established in God. So this is again the carrot now Krishna is telling or he is showing what is the positive outcome of Sthita Pragya constantly being on the spot. Grace is like a divine energy. right? And by grace, God who is Sachitananda, Use that divine knowledge, that divine love, that divine bliss, that divine experience to his bhakta. So this love, bliss and knowledge of God is the divine grace which we experience when we are completely one with the God. And when we have this God's grace, we experience the higher state of divine bliss. Automatically, once you have experienced that, you have no intention or interest in other sensual things at all. All your other material uh, pleasures have extinguished. So the hankering for material objects goes beyond our mind. We are no, no longer worried about what's happening in the external world. In that state of internal fulfillment, that inner peace, the sthita pragya is fully devoted to the God. His Atman is fully aligned to the Lord. His goal is only God. So that is very, very interesting. Important. Now, so far, whatever I had studied in the scriptures, I am experiencing it also. I have got a taste of that divine bliss. So this convinced, this has convinced me now, beyond any doubt, what will happen if I am constantly focused on the God. So this is what Krishna says here that, you know, it is kind of repeating the devotion to God, the focus on God. Uh, continue to, is continuously repeating in every shloka, control your mind, control your senses over again and again. But that's because this is a disaster waiting to happen. One weak moment, you lose your sense, you lose your mind, you slip from 99 to 9. Snake and ladder game, remember, visualize that. Right? So that's why Krishna understands the danger at every step. However, well-established jnani you could be like a saubari, you can still slip slip and fall. That's why Krishna is repeating this message again and again and reinforcing it from time to time by telling what are the upsides, how can a jnani benefit, how he will receive the divine grace and the experience of the bliss. So it is not repetition, but it is reinforcement of a very important message so that as a, as a sadhaka, as a bhakta, we understand the importance of 
sense control, mind control, sama, dhamma, samatvam, and shavanam, mananam, nididhyasanam, so that we are constantly contemplating on the God and nothing else. Let's look at Shloka 66. Nasti buddhira yuktasya nacha yuktasya bhavana nacha bhavayata shantihi ashantasya kutasukham as I just said, he is now again giving the downside. In this shloka, he is saying one who is undisciplined, you know, one who has no control over the mind or senses, their intellect is not stable, they are not steady in their concentration or contemplation on God, and for such people, they will never be able to achieve oneness with God, they will never get that emotional freedom or balance, they will never be constantly or ever enjoy peace. So, those who cannot enjoy peace, how can they ever be happy? That is the main message in the shloka. Again, repetition of the summary of what he has said earlier, that those whose mind and senses are not controlled cannot have a focused intellect. And without a focused intellect, you cannot meditate on the Lord. And without meditation, there is no peace. And when there is no peace, there is no happiness. So, it is again strengthening the same message of the previous verses by stating the positive and the negative. So he is stating something, then reversing and negating it. So here Krishna is saying, no God, no peace. K-N-O-W. If you know God, then you will also know peace. You will experience peace. Whereas if you say no God, N-O, then there is no peace. N-O. So if you are constantly devoted to God, you will enjoy that divine bliss. If you are not, if you are saying, there is no God, you are not going to experience that peace. So, a person has to learn to discipline the mind and sense and constantly meditate upon God to experience that divine bliss. That's the key message coming again and again. So, uh, so there is a small bee story, I'll quickly repeat it. There is a bee which is sitting on a lotus flower and enjoying the rasa, its nectar, right? And as the sun is shining bright, it is enjoying and then it is so lost in the sense pleasures that it, it's forgetting or failing to recognize that it's becoming dark and the lotus petals close and it, it gets trapped inside the flower. Now, actually the bees have the ability to even bore a hole through a wood and come out of it. But it is so lost in the sense pleasures, it thinks, oh, it is only a lotus flower. It is so cozy and comfortable here. So what if the doors are closed today, the petals are closed, tomorrow morning at sunlight it will again open, I will fly away, till then I can enjoy this nectar for some more time in an undisturbed way. In the meantime, lotus uh, eats the whole lotus along with it the bee and the bee dies. Pretty much the same story for people also. We are so much busy, lost, pursuing material happiness that don't realize what we are doing and when we are dead. And in this way, our cycle of birth and death keeps continuing because we are so focused in the material world. So Krishna is again reinforcing the same message. This time he is giving the downside of what can happen if we are also going to stay engrossed in our sense gratification. So we have to focus on the Lord. We have to focus on sense control and mind control. Let's look at Shloka 67. Indriyanam hi charatam 
Again, Krishna is giving a warning message here, saying that just like you know, one strong wind can sweep a boat away from its direction, from its course, which it is startering. Similarly, even one of the senses fall weak, you know, that's all. That's good enough to disturb the intellect. So, we human beings have got five senses, right? And all the senses are outward facing. We have no control. You open your eyes, you will see whatever is there in front of you. Your ears will pick up every noise that is coming from the external world, right? So, whatever you put in your mouth, you are going to taste it. So, you have to be very careful. All your senses are external facing. The deer, the animal, deer is attached to sweet sounds. So, a hunter always attracts them by starting melodious music and then he captures and kills them. Bees are attracted to fragrance. So, while they suck its nectar, uh, while they suck its nectar, they don't even realize the flower is closing its petals at night and they get trapped inside. Fishes are trapped by the desire for eating. That's why when a fisherman comes and throws the bait, the fish go try to eat them and get caught. So, uh, uh, the insects are drawn to light, right? So, the examples can go on and on. Similarly, these animals, insects, birds have one sense which is their weakness. We humans have five senses. So, we have to be that much more careful. Even if one of them has a weakness, we are waiting for disaster to happen. So, so very, very careful. Even for a fraction of a second, we should not let our sense over or overpower us and hence we should be guarded otherwise you know eternally we are at the risk of being on that ladder of fall let's look at shloka 68 so with this shloka, Sri Krishna is concluding the topic of sense control or sense restraint, right? So the main topics of the, the main points of this topic is the sense can destabilize your mind, right? The senses have the power to destabilize your mind and constantly destroy the intellect, the buddhi, even though you have the knowledge. I am diabetic, I should not eat sweet, but my sense control, my urge to eat sweet can tell. It's okay, one time, no problem, I will run extra one mile today and burn off that sweet and I will have that sweet and land in trouble. This is exactly what it means. This is the topic of these shlokas. So the senses, the urge of the senses have the power to destabilize the mind and when that happens, the mind has the ability to destroy the intellect's capability to make proper judgment. Even though you know what is right and what is wrong, you may know that you may make mistakes. So the best way to control the senses is to practice one swadharma with devotion to a higher detail, higher ideal, which is God. So always stay focused on the God. The senses pull the mind in that direction. The mind overpowers the intellect. Intellect gets derailed from the true purpose for which it is striving, which is to become one with the Lord. So if the intellect is purified by spiritual knowledge, then the senses will be restrained. That's why when you are doing a puja at home and you are 
preparing naivedya even if it is 3 o'clock in the afternoon for the puja to get over you are patiently waiting and you don't go and pick something from the vessel and eat and taste and so on normal days you have something being cooked which is of your liking even from the frying pan itself you pick it and eat it to taste it that's what the senses can do so if your intellect is purified by spiritual knowledge then your senses will be restrained your senses can be held in check when your senses are in check your intellect will not be destroyed or will be derailed and that will lead you to a path of wisdom let's look at shloka 69 मटीरियलीस्डर डेफिनेशन ऑफ success and failure and gain and loss and profit victory and so on and so forth right so he says what is night for a sage is day for the worldly minded people so those refraining from the objects of sense us they are constantly focused on the lord for them that is what a success is all about so for most individuals who are in the material world their end goal is to get more and more and accumulate more and you know come to a higher position and higher power so they are always awake to such things only but you ask a gnani they have no interest in such things they are not bothered about such pursuits that's why it says whatever the materially focused people consider as success or victory or achievement it is ignorance as far as the gnanis are concerned they are not even interested they have no importance to such things so krishna is talking about the glory of a sthita pragya who is established in self knowledge one who has got atma gnanam one who has experienced the divine bliss from the lord himself such a person is a gnani and for that person they have absolutely no interest in the material world so krishna is kind of summarizing in this shloka in one verse and telling arjuna how a gnani will be so starkly different to a ignorant person or a non gnani how they can, how an arjuna can easily differentiate and identify between a sthita pragya and a normal person that is the key message let's look at shloka 70 apuryamanam achala pratishtam samudram apah pravishanti yatvat उंड 
remains undisturbed by what is being put into it. Lot of rivers come and flow into the ocean, and they bring with them lot of dirt and dust, and you know, lot of junk along with it. They come and merge with the ocean. Similarly, and the ocean accepts everything without being disturbed. The ocean doesn't push back. Likewise, the sage is also unmoved. Right, the sthita pragya is unmoved despite the flow of. Desirable objects all around him, despite all the distractions, despite all the material objects dangling in front of him, he is always at peace. Right? He is always striving to satisfy other people. So, like an ocean's ability to maintain its undisturbed state, despite being inundated with all the junk that different rivers bring into it, right? They are all the rivers are all emptying themselves into the oceans. But still, the ocean is always ever accepting. It allows everything to come in, and it does not complain at all. Similarly, a sthita pragya, who is fully established in steady wisdom, does not get impacted by anything that's happening in the material world. Let's look at Shloka 71 now. Vihaya kama es sarvan kumas charati nispraha. Nirmama Nirahankaraha Nirmama means without a sense of proprietorship. Nirahankaraha without any ego. So Krishna is saying such a person who has given up all desires and lives free from a sense of greed, proprietorship, proprietorship means mind. Mera, ye mera hai, this is mine, you know, this belongs to me, I made it, ahankara, mamakara. And egoism, such a person gets perfect peace. So Krishna is kind of summarizing and say, you wanted peace, right? Such a person gets perfect peace, right? So that's the, he gets shantim, shantim means perfect peace. So Krishna in this verse is kind of listing down the different things that disturb a person's peace of mind. And he is telling Arjuna to give them up. First one is material desire. The moment we have a desire, we walk into the trap of greed and anger. Because greed and anger are waiting. Once a desire gets fulfilled, greed takes over. I want some more. I bought my first house, now I want a bigger house. 2 BHK lene ka hai, after that 3 BHK, then a 5 BHK. Similarly, bada gadi, usse bada gadi. So it never ends. And if the uh, desire is not fulfilled, then anger kicks in. So either which way you have a desire, you are trapped. So Krishna is telling, suppress, do not suppress, but master your desires, right? Work towards mastering your desires. The, the next step is greed. So greed, as I said, is waiting. It's coming along with the material desires. Ego. Most of the quarrels and fights in this world happen between people because of ego. So the way to peace is not to nurture and give further size and shape to that ego. Reduce pride. Reduce ahankara. Don't think, you know, I did it. Get rid of it. Proprietorship. The feeling of proprietorship, I mine, is because of the ignorance that everything belongs to God. We came empty-handed, right, in the world and we will go empty-handed back. So how can anything in this world belong to us? So that is the sense of proprietorship. 
So Krishna is summarizing the entire topic of the science of a wise person in four points. Yes, can you be on mute, please? So he says, give up desires, give up attachments, right? Develop vairagya and do not have even the slightest trace of selfishness, ahankara, mamakara, and the goal that you will get by doing this is everlasting peace, perfect peace, right? So this, abandoning these four things is not going to be easy. Krishna had said this, but it's not going to happen overnight, right? So we have to be very careful. Neither should we think that, oh, this is not possible for me, this is beyond me, it is not for me. No, that is also not the right interpretation. At the same time, you should not get frustrated that despite I am trying, I am not able to achieve success. It requires discipline, it requires persistence, it requires perseverance. But there are many people before us who have shown that it is possible. Right? So in, with this shloka, Krishna has concluded the final topic of the second chapter of the science of Sita Pragya. So the next shloka is the last shloka of the second chapter. Let's look at shloka 72. So Krishna is telling that such a sthita pragya who has got this kind of uh, knowledge will never ever get deluded. After, once a person has reached that stage, once he has tasted that divine bliss, bliss once he has got that freedom, that emotional freedom and balance, such a person will never get confused again, right? He will never fall back into the trap. So that is called, in this shloka he is saying, Brahmi Stiti, Esha Brahmi Stiti. Brahmi Stiti means state of God realization. Once you reach that state, there is no fallback. You can be you have crossed 99, that cobra waiting to swallow you, you have reached 100, you have won the game, right? So once you have got liberated from the bondage of Maya, right, all the Sanchita Karmas, all your accumulated Vasanas of your previous Janmas are destroyed. The Avidya, the ignorance is all burnt. All the Avidya of endless lifetimes is burnt, not only of this Janma. The influence of Trigunas, the three modes of material nature, Sattva, Rajas, Tamas, you have transcended that. All the doshas, the defects, you know, is all gone, is all cleared, has come to an end. The pancha kleshas, the five defects of material intellect are destroyed. The pancha koshas are all burnt. So from that point onward, the soul becomes free from bondage of Maya. After that, whatever karmas you perform will have no Papa or Punya attached to it. When this state of God realization, Brahmi Stiti is achieved, the soul is said to be a Jeevan Mukta. You are still alive, you are still living in this world, right? You are liberated completely even though you are residing in the body. The Atman inside you is a Jeevan Mukta now. At the time of death, the liberated soul finally discards this body and it reaches the supreme abode of God. After that, it will again not have to take a second birth at all. So that is the biggest thing. So once the soul attains God, it remains in union with Him. 
after that maya cannot overpower it again this is called eternal liberation from, from maya or it is called nirvana moksha etc so for liberation is a final natural consequence of god realization so if one follows the technique technique of karma yoga can reach up to sthita pragya and from there you can realize brahman that is the road map that lord krishna laid out for arjuna to understand from shloka 11 onwards he said you have to do your sadharma i have to do your duty pick up your uh, weapons and fight because that is your karma yoga as a kshatriya to uphold dharma and then he is laying out the road map how, how karma yoga leads to chitta shuddhi leads to gyana prapti yogyataha once you are qualified you get the gyana yoga once you get gyana yoga you become one with brahman and then even while you are living in this world you are you become a jeevan mukta the name of our satsang is also jeevan muktas so until gyana comes conflicts are inevitable we will always be caught into this confusion of whether i should do i should do i should not do etc right but once you have reached the state of god realization you become a jeevan mukta so krishna has packed several lifetimes worth of instruction and knowledge in the second chapter this is the essence of the entire bhagavad gita now you may wonder if the entire essence is chapter 2 why should i read the remaining 16 chapters it's because it is lot of wisdom packed in this you know few shlokas that krishna has spoken about in the subsequent chapters krishna is taking up each point based on arjuna's question for further elaboration he is breaking it down into more practical tips that each of us can practice so that we can constantly progress forward and not slip down so he is going to dissect each of this message in different dimensions and give us more conviction to travel on this path उपनिषत्सु 